Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. So the first brand you remember having impact in your life? Coca-Cola. Really? I love Coca-Cola. I still love Coca-Cola. It reminds me of my father. My father, my elderly father, loved always Coca-Cola. And he would always say, ice cold Coke. (laughs) And that's all I want is an ice cold Coke. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. On this episode of the CMO Podcast, which we are recording in Cannes, I'm talking to Ann Lunes. She is the CMO of Adobe, and she has had a remarkable career in technology. In fact, when the book is written about pioneering women in technology, there will be a chapter on Ann Lunes. She went to Intel when it was less than a billion in sales. She left Intel when it was 40 billion. She went to Adobe about 12 years ago. Their stock price is up eightfold since she has been there. Adobe is one of the world's largest software platforms, and really their purpose is to help creative people bring out their creativity in all they do. And creative people are all over the world and all sorts of companies, so they're not just for the creative professionals anymore. She is a remarkable leader. You'll hear about that, and you'll hear about her passion for television. I'm so happy we're doing this podcast in Cannes, but I'd be happy to do it anywhere, because you're... Your tenure as a CMO, I think, is one of the most remarkable in the world now, and I'm telling you why. You've been a CMO for 13 years. The average tenure is four and a half. Your stock has grown about 8x during that time. You've been part of an Adobe team that totally flipped your business model, and you're on a cool board with Mattel. You moved most of your marketing spending to digital before anyone else was doing it. So I love that. So what? This podcast is over. It's over, right? (laughs) Now, we're going to get into how you do that and kind of what your learning has been, the 10 tenets. But before we do that, I want to warm up a bit. Okay. So tell me what the best day in your career has ever been. Best day in my career may have been at the beginning of my career. I worked at Intel, and I was actually on the publishing side. I ran employee communications, Mm -hmm. and I'd been there a few years. My colleague ran customer communications. This was a much bigger job than me. I was actually making $28,000 at this point, which is a huge amount of money. And uh, he decided to leave and go to the agency world, and he gave me a heads up that in case they were going to give me this other role, he was making $37,000. This was a really big thing of him to do. I mean, he had no mm-hmm. you know, need mm-hmm. to do that. So lo and behold, I get the job, and Uh-oh. they don't offer me $37,000, and uh, it, was, it was very stressful for me because I knew I was due that amount. And so I went into my boss and I said, Jim, I just want you to know that um, John told me he was making $37,000. And if I'm going to take that job, I think that you need to pay me that. And he said, absolutely, I'm going to pay you that. So the best moment was that moment where I was taught to really advocate for myself. 
Yeah, so that's what you learned, right? I did, and my whole life I've been advocating for myself. I tell my, I have two boys, I tell them every day, advocate for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Great lesson. Well, we can end the podcast now. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, more warm-up. Your most influential boss in your career. Oh, Um, Dennis Carter, also at Intel, who was the right-hand guy for Andy Grove. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was this pivotal time at at Intel, PC revolution. And he's the one who had the crazy idea to do Intel Inside. Mm -hmm. And he came to me, and I was going to go to business school after my publishing little gig Mm -hmm. at Intel. And he said, give me six months. I have this great idea. We're going to make microprocessors into consumer goods. And we're going to come up with a campaign called you know, Intel in it at the time, and we'll get, we'll create pull for microprocessors and computers. And I said, that's a psycho idea. I'm not doing that. And he said, six months. And we did a test market in Denver. And uh, I was going to go to business school, decided against it. He taught me everything I know about marketing. How long did you work with him? I worked for him for 10 years. Wow. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Now that campaign was iconic on ingredient branding. I mean, we studied it at PNG. It was all him. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Super. So what's one thing that we cannot learn about you online? What's <laughs> what's not out there? That I'm neurotic. <laughs> you sure that's not out there? <laughs> <laughs> it probably is out there. I don't know. I'll Google myself later and see what it says. No, I think um, other than that, I'm like a total TV crazy hound. I love television. Hmm. So what are, you, what are you watching now? I watch a lot of crazy Lots things. Of right now I just watched Dead to Me which is yeah. um, a show about two kind of crazy women who um, end up in a, in a very weird situation. And so, but I watch things, I feel like I'm in marketing. I should know what's going on out there. So I, I make, every single night, I watch at least an hour of television. Wow. So you're able to sort of kick back and watch it and not worry about your productivity. That's like the and only thing I do that only... is relaxing. Yeah. <laughs> So only an hour? You never do like five hours at a time or 10 hours no, at a time? No, no. I meter myself because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do it all at once. Okay, super. All right. So you're neurotic. You watch a lot of TV. So let's get, let's get into a bit more. And dis- those are my best assets. Okay. We'll get, all right. Very good. Well, we'll keep going here. It's going to get better and better. So um, Adobe, I was just talking to one of my team about your brand. And she said, you know, it's hard to put into a few words what they do. So I'd like, you to, I'd like you to tell me, if you were coming to a fifth grade class to talk mm-hmm. about your brand, how would you describe it? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll do the fifth grade version. Uh, we make software. Yeah. We make software for anyone who wants to create something. It can be um, some form of photograph. It can be an illustration. It can be a video. It could be a document. It can be uh, a web experience. And we're kind of the core technology that helps you create that, that mm-hmm. helps you measure it, preserve it, and helps you sell. Mm-hmm. So if I were to ask you that question when you joined Adobe in 2006 <laughs> versus today, what would you have said then? It would be a truncated version of that because uh, at the time that I joined, we, we were making creative software for sure, and we had PDF. But this idea of making everything and measuring everything, I think we, I, we were nowhere close to that in terms of a vision. But I think the whole idea that uh, we you know, eventually 
came to was that if people were making a lot of content, they mm -hmm. wanted to know how it was working. Right. And there was no real mechanism in the digital world to enable them to find out how it was working. And I think the marriage of that, and this was my boss, Shantanuna Ryan, the CEO, mm -hmm. you know, the marriage of that and the vision to the foresight to see that that would matter to people was pretty profound. Mm -hmm. So people I talk to who are heavy users of Adobe, love it. Can't live without it. They would tell me that's their favorite brand. So how did you get that way? How did that happen? How, what's your lessons for other brands to build a real kind of brand that people can't live without, a lifestyle brand in a way? Yeah, I mean, it starts with product, but I think something that we do really well is listen to the community. And I think, you know, we are really plugged into our users. Now it's software, so it's a little bit easier maybe than some other products. But if our community, and I'm talking even tens of customers, don't like something, we know it immediately. And if we don't do something about it, now something might not mean change the behavior, but at least acknowledge that we've gotten some feedback, we will hear about it forever. And there have been times when we've changed uh, either policies or product features that the community have actually put together petitions and sent them to us. And we hear it from employees, too. That's just the culture, I think. Um, certainly they care, right? They care. And it, you cannot ignore them. And so I think it's actually made us way better uh, as a company from a product perspective, but also from a marketing perspective. So we talked in your introduction about the remarkable run you and your team have had since you came there and the huge stock price advance. So tell us, tell the listeners what they could learn from your incredible run of 13 years. You, you said you just wrote a paper about the 10 tenants. But, you know, if you were advising my class here in Cannes, right, I teach a class of young marketers. What insights, what habits, what practices did you learn in that remarkable journey? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think how it started for us was a desire to be able to make marketing important and um, uh, have impact. And, you know, you've been in this business a long time. It's always been a struggle to be mm -hmm, able to really right. quantitatively measure the value of marketing. And I was a brand marketer uh, for all of my career, and that's my passion. I'm a creative person, so that's where I was, you know, usually gravitating. But when I saw what digital could do for us as a business, that, I think, sparked, um, and, and really, that's our business model now, mm -hmm. the ability to be able to be extremely creative and yet know exactly who's viewing your media, what they're doing, what is relevant to them, what they hate, and then um, be able to, you know, customize basically a relationship based on all of that information. That was what we started doing 10 years ago at, at Adobe from a marketing perspective, and that actually is our business. So now we're teaching people how to do that. Mm -hmm. And probably as much as I do marketing, I spend time with customers like me telling them about all the things that we've learned in the past 10 years, what kinds of people you need on your team. You need data scientists just as, you, as much as you need a creative director. What kind of change management is needed, the processes you need for really being a data-driven marketing machine. And I think, you know, we, we never anticipated that marketing would actually be kind of the engine for a B2C business, that we could take a traditional packaged software business. And now, you know, the big idea was to turn that into a, a cloud-based subscription mm -hmm. service so yep. that we could have better recurring revenue and yep. get products out in the market faster. But I think in the in the midst of all of that, what we learned was that marketing can drive a business like this measurably. Mm 
So you went from selling uh, SKUs, basically, mm -hmm. to selling a subscription. Mm -hmm. um, what, what is marketing now at Adobe versus what it was when you joined? I mean, you just talked about how it's become more important. So what was the work of marketing when you joined, and how is that work different now? A lot of people struggle with what should be the work of marketing. Mm -hmm. So what insights would you have on that? So when I got to Adobe, uh, we were a very traditional marketer. We spent probably 50% of our budget on events and maybe 40% of our budget on channel activities. And we would hand basically the money over to the channel because mm -hmm. we had a two-tier distribution mm -hmm. uh, system. And they would spend the money on our behalf. And your biggest channel back then was probably... Retail, retail as well as resellers. Okay. And and there's nothing wrong with that mm -hmm. business model. The the issue was we, we had no idea how the marketing was performed. We were doing print. We did almost no digital. And um, we had no idea how the, the media was working, honestly. Mm -hmm. We were very in the, in the dark. And so I think the biggest difference, and we were always creative, of course, because it was Adobe mm -hmm. and we had to, you know, role model great creativity. But we really had no idea what, what was working and what wasn't working. And so I think the biggest change has been a focus on insight, a focus on data, um, uh, you know, while still being hopefully best in class creatively because uh, that's super important to me and always will be. But I think actually that data makes you a better creative. Sure. Because I haven't met a creative who doesn't want to know the impact of the work and right. I haven't met a data analyst who doesn't want to help the creative do yeah. a better job. Yeah. So I think the ability to measure has been kind of the key to how we've evolved. Mm -hmm. So uh, your customer base when you joined and your customer base now, how is it different? Uh, initially, our creative kind of community was was tapped at about 3 million people. Every year um, or every other year, we would introduce a new uh, package software and probably 2, 3 million people would buy it. So that's what the, we thought that the universe was. And on the Acrobat side, similar kind of bounded um, universe. And I think what we, we completely... Uh, undercalled was the creative revolution that everyone would basically become a creator and that, you know, every kid would have, you know, their own website or their own Instagram channel or their own YouTube channel. Every business would need to transact through applications sure. and websites. And so the universe was so much bigger than we could have anticipated on the creative side. Same with a product like Acrobat. PDF is actually the most distributed piece of software in the world. And, um, and then we added a whole new business, which was the measurement of all of these things and the management of all of the data. And, you know, you're talking tens of millions of customers instead of a universe Amazing. of three or four. Amazing. It's the total redefinition of your business. What would you say, you know, we're here at Cannes, everyone's talking brand purpose, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. How do you feel at Adobe? How do you describe your brand? Is it an important concept for you? Do you talk about it? Do you measure it? Do you think about activation of it internally and externally? Yes. <laughs> yes to all of that? Yes to all of that. So our founders, um, John Warnock and Chuck Geschke, um, very kind of benevolent, generous, philanthropic guys. They founded the company over 35 years ago. And, um, you know, in software, it's a people business. We don't manufacture anything. We don't have plants, factories. We have people. And so people are the focus uh, of, of our entire business. That's employees and that's customers. 
And so uh, it's a purpose-driven company because we really cared about the communities that we were in. So we started in downtown San Jose, terrible homeless product problem, and that became the initial area of focus. Uh, still an area of focus for us. Unfortunately, the Bay Area has mm -hmm. terrible homelessness. But what we decided over time was that we were going to try and use our products for good. And so whether it's Photoshop, we just won um, actually the National Center for Exploited Children um, bestowed the, their biggest honor, the HOPE Award, on us because we've been helping them for 10 years with Photoshop in aging, age progression of mm. photographs of, of missing children. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, we're using our technology. We've done that. We helped people reconstruct their photographs um, based on technology mm. that we have. Um, you know, all of the work that we do on the um, data side, we are constantly using our products for good. But that's kind of our area of focus is how do we use the products? And I would say the creative products in particular have helped us with young underserved um, communities. Self-expression is really important for kids who have, you know, anything to say. And so we're really focused on, I think, product first. Yeah. So I want to get into a bit more of your leadership style and your leadership lessons. And you moved to San Francisco, as you said, after going to Lehigh mm -hmm. and having a job in journalism. And you got a job at that time with this company that probably not many people knew about, right, Intel. And it was like a failure. That company was going and down. And the revenue was probably hardly anything at the point. A billion dollars. Yeah, a billion dollars. Okay. So so you spent 21 years there, right? 20. So 20, okay. <laughs> Which well, you saw an amazing arc there as well. So what? how did you evolve as a leader at Intel? you know, that prepared you to make the jump to Adobe as CMO? I think Intel was just a great place to learn how to be a leader because we had, you know, one of the best leaders, Andy Grove. He was there almost during my entire tenure. And, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a hard kind of edged place to work. But between my boss, Dennis Carter, and Andy, you know, I think there were a number of principles that have stayed with me. Number one is results orientation. And I tell people this all the time. How do I do, you know, how do I get acknowledged? How do I climb up, deliver, mm -hmm. and exceed expectations? And results is, you know, all you should focus on. I think the second thing is my boss always says there are flag planters and there are road builders. And he thinks I'm a flag planter. And so, um, but you need a lot of road builders. Mm -hmm. And so I think acknowledging, figuring out what kind of, person you are and what your kind of area of, of, I guess, excellence would be, but then surrounding yourself and complimenting yourself with the people that can help you really realize whatever vision you may have. I think, you so know. So when he says you're a flag planter, yeah. what does he mean by that? So um, I, Describe a flag I think, I think kind of forward. I'm not afraid of coming up with zany ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think immediately about how they're going to happen. And so you need people around you who can help you get to that idea. Because you can be a flag planter and be a miserable failure unless you have people around sure. you who can help you build the road there. Uh, I think the third thing is working through people. And, 
you know, uh, early on in my career, I remember uh, actually having a conversation with Dennis and him saying, you need to get out there more. You need to go, you know, uh, to network and all of that. And I was like, why do I need to do that? That I, I need to focus on my job. And he was so right. It's so important to be out there, yeah. um, not only with peers, but but learning, coming to conferences like right, that. You're right. going to learn things. Even if you don't want to, you're going to learn yeah, things. Yeah. And so I think, you know, being out and, and working well through people, another important leadership lesson. And then my first boss, he told me something, and I'm still working on this, still not good at it. Uh, and he said, Anne, you can't go to the mat for everything. And I think that's another really it's important tough. lesson. Right. Um, for me, it's been a yeah. lesson that, that I continue to kind of try and remind myself. Yeah, the whole pick your battles, where do you go? It's hard. Very hard. It's hard to watch something you know you could help or fix. But you can't solve every problem, yeah. especially when you get to a senior position. Yep. It's right. just impossible. Yep. Yep. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So you made the jump after 20 years to Adobe. Tell us about that decision. Couldn't have been easy. I was oh, at PNG so 25 years. You know, it becomes part of your identity, so right? So hard. And I'd never really worked anywhere else. I'd only worked a year in journalism. And so, but I knew it was time. I, I, I what felt told you? it was What told time. you it was time? I think, you know, I got there when it was about a billion-dollar company. When I left, it was a $40 billion company. I had, I was a career marketer, and at Intel, the natural evolution from a leadership perspective was to go be a general manager. Mm-hmm. And I I wasn't really interested in doing mm-hmm. that. And so I would say it, it just, it was time. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to pick a place that I felt was going to be um, more maybe aligned with my, you know, my my creative. general interest. Yeah. And yeah. obviously a creative software company uh, was was a good match for me there. But culturally, these could not have been more different. And I did not know one person there, literally not one person. So I got dropped in, uh, and it was shocking. It was, first of all, software and, and semiconductors could not be more different. Yeah. I mentioned, you know, yeah. people versus kind of, you yeah. know, factories. And I had I had a very I, wonderful as it was. It was shocking to me. Mm-hmm. Building a network again, understanding how things work. Uh, but I think I hit it at a time. So what compelled you to do it? Was it a recruiter? Was it a friend? It was actually was it... the, C- the the sitting CMO contacted oh. me, and I knew her. And she said, We're, I'm going to retire, and I'd love you to come in and talk about it. And, you know, I was happy at Intel. I had That's little pretty kids. visionary of her. And I came in, and the interview process at Adobe is, is, um, is very intense. You talk to a lot of people. And in fact, I talked to my boss three times and I kept leaving, um, you know, at lunch to go talk to him. And the third time I looked at him and I said, Shantanu, I just have to tell you that I can't come here anymore. Are, are you going to hire me or not? <laughs> and he said, Anne, like very straight in my eye, Anne, I need to make sure that we really like you and you should make sure that you really like us. This is a big decision. I said, I got to work at this company. I can't yeah. believe this guy just told me this. Yeah. Wow. It was great. I mean, I knew right then. 
Yeah, so wise. So before we leave Intel, you chose a career in marketing versus general management. That, was that a tough call? Because you probably had, no. No. Well, weren't people trying to get you to do that? Oh yes. Constantly but you had the self awareness to, to, to say, "I would not be I good said, at that. I'm I like not going to be good at this." They, um, you know, again at Intel, they really wanted you to be in product management or general management, and I just knew that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah, I, I knew it. That's a brave decision. You know, at, at, at P&G, it was very tough to get out of a, every, you know, you were pushed to be a general manager mm -hmm. and a line marketer. That was the way to the top. That was the way to more money and, and responsibility and growth. Same. If you chose to be a master, it was hard. It was a tough, and people did. And they, at the end of the day, they become probably more influential to the company than the general managers. Because they build an expertise, they coach people, they train them, they're doing what they love. Exactly. I mean, it, it was, there was no possibility of me doing that. Yeah. So you moved to this great company with this great CEO and this great culture after they talked to you for days and days and days. So were you ready for it? Did you feel when you stepped in there you were well prepared? I think I... I think I was well prepared, mm -hmm. and I think I brought things again from Intel that maybe were were not as prevalent at Adobe. I, I, you know, a very structured kind of way of thinking, um, a very lean forward way of thinking, and I think I brought things, and th that's the other thing. Um, another great. Uh, experience uh, anecdote from from Adobe. When I got there, I had this HR woman who was trying to help me integrate. And so I said, oh, okay, so tell me how that works. So I come in and you teach me how to be like Adobe people. And she said, no, you bring the best of you and we give you the best of us. And we try to wow. marry those two together. And so I thought, this is great. Incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's really these cultural kind of yeah. little um, uh, moments that that I got. What early a reaffirmation on. of your choice, too. Exactly, right? but I found that that was so true because you know I was this pushy broad coming into a place that had a lot of cultural merits that that I could absolutely learn from, and maybe some of the structure and and flag planting mm -hmm. was something I brought. Yeah. So did you trip up at all? I mean, oh my make gosh! Where, and Still if you did trip it. up, where? <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> but where do you think, you know, if others could learn from your onboarding, I'm, I'm taking it back a few years, but what would, what, where did you kind of make a mistake? Where do you, what, where, what was your biggest trip up? Maybe Not listening to, to people change, or moving too fast or whatever. Trying to change things too quickly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I, another interesting, early on, I, I came from a place where we had an open kind of setting where everybody had a cubicle. I'd never worked in a closed office before. And I came to my floor and I had a door. I'd never had a door mm. before in my whole life. And I, I was in a really large office, kind of set off by myself. And I really didn't care for it. And so I came out and I said, I think we need to redo all the offices, tear down all the walls, and put everybody in a cubicle. And like within hours, I, I was, you know, maligned by my entire team. And I said to myself, I don't think I can move that quickly with these things. And I think, you know, listening, it's part, mm -hmm. part of what you just said. I think listening, understanding, these are, these are kind of ways that people have been working here for a long time. Don't, don't, you know, kill things that maybe you don't understand. And so, yeah, that change probably needed to happen a little bit more methodically. Mm -hmm. If you think about your tenure there, you know, what do you, what, what do you think is your, um, your kind of greatest achievement 
and what do you still feel like something you still need to do? Well, I think, again, I think becoming so, like a data-driven digital marketing machine is mm -hmm. probably the thing I'm most proud of. Which so is, you've built that capability in the company. I feel that we really did that. Yeah. And I'm I'm super proud of that. And yeah. it's so ironic because really I'm I have been I was a writer, I was, yeah. you know, in advertising for years. And it's kind of ironic that that's what I, mm -hmm. I'm pointing to. But I think that's probably the best thing that we've done. And it's mm -hmm. pretty extraordinary. How big is your team now, generally? It's pretty big. <laughs> Pretty big, yeah. Okay. <laughs> a lot bigger than it was 13 years ago. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And I mean, that was a conscious choice. We brought a lot of things in-house because we're Adobe. We make all the creative software so we can create a lot of our own content. We measure everything, so we have a lot of people who are doing that work internally. So I don't think that's for everyone necessarily, mm -hmm. but it worked out for us. Do you rely on external partners for anything? We do. Yeah, yeah in, for in what sure. areas? So, I mean, creative. We supplement creative. We also have a huge creative network. So we have something called Behance, which is a social network mm -hmm. of you know 10 million creatives. So we source a lot of content from mm -hmm. them, which is awesome. And we do creative challenges practically weekly where we'll work with an artist like Billie Eilish is a young mm -hmm. um, female musician. She's also an artist, and we're doing a challenge now where she'll use our social network to solicit submissions for cover art. Uh, so we do a lot of things um, uh, like that. But I think, you know, it's it's just been a, an incredible kind of series of, of new innovation all the time. Mm -hmm. So what do you real? I mean, I'm getting a sense of this, but what do you really love about what you do? And on the other side of it, what still drives you crazy? I still love doing really crazy creative. I mean, I think, you know, you could get me in a room and I, I could do that all day long. I love doing that. Um, and what don't I like to do? So what have you worked on recently in crazy creative that you really oh. Uh, I, I am really hooked on these challenges because mm -hmm. I think we, we because people really have a lot of affinity for Adobe, especially people who are in any kind of creative field, we can get, you know, somebody to come give us their assets like a Billie Eilish or Zach Braff most recently or Imagine Dragons mm -hmm. or yeah. all kinds of bands will give us their assets let us put them out on our social networks and let people create with them and create the most magnificent things. And to me, to have thousands and thousands of people creating from just small little snippets of assets and then seeing what they come up with, it's extraordinary. Wow. You know, I, I had Julia Golden in my class this morning uh, with the Young Marketers yeah. in Cannes, this class that, that we run here for aspiring or young marketers. And she talked, actually, you, you two, if you don't know each other, you should. I don't know her. You know, she really, it's a, it's a Lego, right? She's the CMO of Lego. So she talked an awful lot about creativity and purpose. And she said, you know, kindergartners today, 65% 65 of their jobs when they go into the workforce are not yet existing. Yeah. So we have to, our children have to understand problem solving and creativity and, and play and Lego is a great venue for that. So their importance in the world, they feel, is huge to help children figure out problems and build and see things three-dimensionally and be creative. So really amazing. And you're certainly in that space as I well. I mean, that's the way we feel. We just actually today introduced a product called Fresco, which is an illustration app, a simple, simple illustration app that pretty much anyone can use. And you're doing watercolor, I mean, in moments. It's oh. these kinds of things. And, you know, I think... 
Um, these are the extraordinary products of our time. Yeah, yeah. So what drives you crazy now? Anything? Sure, like staffing issues. Mm -hmm. Staffing issues are still debilitating and depleting for me. Yeah. Because they're emotional? Because they're emotional. you're making calls on people? Yeah, I, I still hate doing that. Mm -hmm. Hate it. What's your, you have to do a lot of that in the kind of role you're in. What's your key for doing it even though you hate it? And doing it well because you must do it well you wouldn't have the track record you have i think you know um i'm a i'm a demanding person but for me i i feel like the most important thing is is making sure people understand that i'm uh, that i care for them and no matter how you may end things um i want to do it respectfully and i want to do it in a way that whether you're not you feel like this this was a great experience or not, kind of doesn't matter to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and even just organizational restructuring, you know, just yeah. those constant things, they're very stressful for organizations and they're very stressful for me. Mm -hmm. But I treat people respectfully. Yeah. So you came out to Silicon Valley many years ago and you worked at Intel and Adobe and, it's, you know, it was a very male-dominated industry back then. To some extent, it still, still is. is. So tell me about that. I mean, how have you thrived in that? What, where do you think we are today? What still needs to happen? Yeah, it's it's a little better, but not a lot. And I mean, right now, and we all publish our statistics, and, and I think with good cause. So, uh, you know, at most of the companies in Silicon Valley, we're at about a 70% male, 30% female ratio. Um, we have underrepresentation of, you know, minorities, African-Americans, Latinos. So it's not a great picture. I think we're all working on it. And, um, you know, uh, I focus a lot on female um, employees, as do the head of HR and I are both um, women. And we're doing everything from youth coding initiatives, lots of intact programs um, with girls, same with young underrepresented minorities. We do fellowships. We do um, all kinds of scholarships now to kind of bring talent in. But, you know, this is a systemic issue. This is not something that Adobe or right. any of our yeah. peer companies can resolve. This is this starts in middle school with girls in particular. Uh, and, you know, there have been a lot of studies. Why does it happen? And there are a variety of reasons. It's uncool. Um, you know, bro culture. It's, um, it's something that I feel like I'm not going to be good at. And so it's, it is systemic and it's going to start, it's going to need to start with the education system. And so we're trying to get as early as we can to change things out. Same with underrepresented minorities, get technology in the hands of kids so that they can start to enjoy it. And um, we need to encourage all of that. So it's a hard problem. We're getting better, but nowhere near where we need to be. And I'll just say one other thing, which is it's the same in creative fields. Women yeah, are is. so underrepresented yeah. in creative fields. You know, 10%, less than 10% of directors are females. Only one woman has ever won an Academy Award yeah. for direction. Um, advertising, you know, um, still major issue. So. Yeah. Yeah, I was with a bunch of ad women this week, and I said, why are the clients better than you? So they generally are. Have you really studied that? What are they doing that you know that you should be doing? Because generally client companies are better than the agency world. Yeah. And we don't have a good answer to that either. I, th I mean, this is such a simplistic uh, answer, and I don't know if there's any truth to it, but I think the hours 
are a big problem. Like when you're in a pitch situation, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you are working. And I remember early on when I, yeah. I never worked on the agency side, but I remember working, you know, 24 hours a day mm -hmm. when I was in advertising on the client side. And I can only imagine what it's like mm -hmm. on the agency side. So I don't know what it yeah. is, but I, I suspect there's some of that in there. Yeah. And I think the clients could help them. And I think yeah. there are some efforts in that, but we have to go more. We have to go further. So you're in uh, a fast-moving business, right? Changes all the time. You face as much disruption as anyone else, and you have to stay ahead of that. So how do you personally stay sharp and fresh and creative and on your game? You know, what do you, what do, you do? What are your rituals, your habits? You know, do you get up early and read? You, you, I know you watch TV to chill an hour a day, but do you run? Do you do yoga? Do you, I mean, what are your... I don't do anything any physical. I am terrible at that. And, um, and I'm the only living person in California who doesn't have yeah. like a massive athletic pursuit. So I have to, you know, basically indulge in media in order to, to get creative. <laughs> but I'm, um, I'm an avid kind of music lover mm -hmm. and I, I, you know, I still go to shows. Mm -hmm. I listen to all kinds of music. Um, I see a lot of films. I watch TV. I'm on the web all the time. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of a media junkie, I yeah. would say. Uh, but yeah, I mean... I'm a reader. I still mm -hmm. read. You still read books? I do still yeah. read books. Yeah. I'm reading Little Fires Everywhere right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good? It's good. You recommend it? I would. Okay. Reese Witherspoon's people recommend it. I just interviewed her a couple of months ago, and she was fabulous, and she has a book club. And so this is one of her recommendations, so I'm reading it. Super. So what are you watching series-wise? Uh, so I said dead to me. Yep. Um, I watched The Handmaid's Tale, although I'm having a massive problem with Hulu because it keeps cutting out like after 10 minutes. So I have to keep, you know, recharging and rebooting to get it back up and running. Um, They're here. We can talk to them I'm going to talk that. to yeah. them later. Yeah. yeah. I still watch The Kardashians. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I watch a spectrum of stuff. Well, you should. But I feel like The Kardashians, like nobody mm. knows marketing more than The right. Kardashians. Right. So I learned from them. Yep. I learned from them and from Kanye. Yeah. Good, good and bad. Right? <laughs> um, you know, when you someday leave the company, and um, which I hope is not imminent, what do you want people to say about you? Probably that I I wasn't afraid to do crazy things and that I was I was really demanding um, and that I wanted really high quality work, uh, but that I was fair mm -hmm. and that I was a good person. Mm -hmm. That's pretty. That's amazing. what I tell my children every day. Mm -hmm. If you're a good person, I've done my job. Yeah, that's right. You'd be a good boss. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I think so. I think so. So let's uh, talk a bit about a few industry issues okay. for a minute and get your point of view on that. So we're in Cannes. All the awards are going to Brands with Purpose. Everyone <laughs> has kind of, you know, everyone sort of is... You're saying that somewhat derogatorily. <laughs> no, no. I mean, believe me, I, I, I believe in it. I think it's the way to do business. It's the way I've seen brands grow. And I've started, made this really the focus of my, my life over the last 10 years. But I think everyone's got it. Mm -hmm. There's no more debate that it's not the right way to run a business, that it, it will deliver growth and it will deliver energy for your employees and for your customers. So with so many brands doing it now, what, how, how can you differentiate? 
Well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I look at us and I think it has to be, your purpose has to be extremely aligned with what you do. And so for us, you know, the products that we make are, are the basis of our purpose. And, you know, we have a very lofty kind of mission, which is to change the world through digital experiences. Ten years ago when we came up with it, it was so big, I thought, we're never going to be able, this is so aspirational, we're never going to be able to live up to it. But I think, you know, the products are what help us get to the mission. And so if we want to help the National Center for Exploited Children find missing children, there's no bigger purpose than that. And we can use Photoshop to do that. That's pretty incredible. If we can help small businesses, um, you know, be able to erase a middleman by having electronic signatures, that's a huge purpose. And so I think the way we look at it is the only way to be authentic is if it's really part of what your company does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I think we there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people think brand purpose is cause marketing or philanthropy or something you do on the side. Mm -hmm. I've heard even leaders say, well, I have my business to run, but then, of course, I have to do purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not it. Your purpose is your business, and it's making lives better for the people you're serving, right? I mean, I and think And cause marketing can come out of that. Exactly. Philanthropy should be guided by that. Exactly. But it's a strategy. Yeah, it is a strategy. And I again, I think because the company was born that way, and we still do philanthropy. We still want to focus on homelessness in our communities. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that we that that's our sole purpose. Our purpose is aligned to our products. Yeah. Okay, I want to get into something else. There, you know, a lot of brands make missteps or they get caught in a cultural thing, or they lose trust. And we have many brands here in Cannes who are going through that right now. You know, maybe those, uh, many of the social media brands are having trouble right now. Mm -hmm. So how do you come back from that? How do you come back from a crisis? And what have you learned about that in your career? Yeah, I mean, we've had crises for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, the key, again, is to look within yourself in those really dark moments and say, um, you know, how, how am I objectively going to get to the other side? And I think, you know, I'll, I'll talk about some of the tech companies that I think are, are, you know, getting a little battered right now. And I was on a panel this morning, and, and this might be a provocative thought, but this is very hard. And people who don't understand what serving a billion people a day um, over, you know, digital means, um, it is not easy to do this. And it's uncharted territory. Yeah. Every day a new thing happens that is yeah. unexpected or unforeseen. And I think a lot of the companies uh, are, are really trying to react. But it is reactive at this point because it's a completely new industry. And so uh, I think we all want the same things. Nobody wants ads that are next to deplorable content. Uh, uh, who would want that? But it happens. Algorithms actually make that happen. And I think what's happening now is human regulation is coming back into the equation because, you know, machines can't resolve all of these issues. And so I feel, I feel a, you know, compassion 
for a lot of the companies that are going through. And frankly, I feel a lot of compassion when any company goes through yeah. a crisis. Yeah. We had a crisis at Adobe years ago um, when Steve Jobs said Flash was, mm -hmm. was not going well. to be yep. used on Apple devices anymore. And, and this was, you know, a major kind of, I would say, inflection point for the company, frankly. And, uh, you know, it was very hard for us. I think we took the high road, and that's what I, I really believe you should do. Uh, either admit that you're working on something, admit that maybe the time is, is you know, um, uh, good for something else. But I, I feel that, you know, any crisis that you don't use as an opportunity to, to either change or reflect mm -hmm. is, is a waste. Yeah, super. Well, let's lighten up a bit. Okay. That was heavy, but it was good. And it's and it's and I believe I, I'm the, I'm in the same place as you are. We're in we are an area we're in an era of innovation required for these companies, and they're really smart and they want the right thing. And I think we're going to see some really interesting things come out of it. But but anyway, let's lighten up a little bit and okay. end with a lightning round. Great. Okay. So I want you to tell me in a speed round a brand that you're that you're not working on right now that you cannot live without. Spotify. Spotify, okay. Your favorite ad ever? The Nike Revolution ad. Yeah, it's pretty good. So we talked about books you're reading. Uh, biggest passion in the world for you? Filmmaking. Oh, cool. Do you want to do that someday? I would like to... I would like to spend time investing in, in films. Yeah, I'm doing a little it, of that on the it's side. It's a magic, isn't it, to yes. see that happen? Yes, yeah. little indie films that... Okay. Nobody else wants to fund. Yeah, right, right. Why not? So last question. We're here in Cannes. They're awarding. It's the Oscars of our industry. So what marketing campaign do you really, really love and admire right now? Oh. Or in the recent past? What marketing campaign do I really, really admire? Well, okay. So I'll use, I'll use um, the Barbie You Can Be Anything yeah. campaign. So I feel, and I don't know if it's up for any awards, but I feel Barbie, you know, talk about a brand that has gotten, you know, beaten up mm -hmm. for, for years. And I think the folks at Mattel have done an amazing job of recasting what it means to be a girl today. And full disclosure on the board, right? So you understand what I they've am. been going through. Full disclosure. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and See. I think that makes me actually even more, more um, proud yep. of yep. what uh, can be done because there were a lot of naysayers about what this brand could be and what it had become. And I feel like, you know, they took the um, information in and they created a whole new Barbie. And so this campaign uh, is basically inspiring girls to be whatever they want to be. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful purpose that has come to life through their behaviors. It's a great case. Well, thank you, Anne. Thank you. It's it was so a nice joy. to see you. So that was my conversation with Anne Lunez. I just loved when she talked about her first brand that had an impact on her, and it was Coca-Cola, ice-cold Coca-Cola, because her dad called it that and enjoyed Coke. I also loved how she started in journalism, and as I did, we were both idealistic journalists, and we both ended up in interesting marketing careers. I also loved how Anne unapologetically talked about her passion for television and all kinds of TV, but she restricts herself to just one hour a day. I'm not sure I could do that. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, 
Leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.